Welcome to the Recon Podcast. In today's episode, Sandy and I sit down with Daniel Rooster, the daddy of Folsom Europe, to talk about the evolution of the fetish scene throughout the decades, the importance of traditions and protocols, the power of breaking the rules, and you might even learn why Sandy hates light-up harnesses. Please enjoy the episode. So, um, welcome to the Recon Podcast. This is episode nine. nine. Episode, it's episode nine. This is already episode nine. And we are going to be uh, discussing today um, old guard, new guard. We know it's something that people chat about and throw around quite often. Um, but this should be pretty interesting, I think. So, uh, on today with me, of course, is Sandy. Hi. And then we'll bring our special guest, uh, Daniel, in a little bit later on. I'll tell you who that is. Um, so I think probably one of the things we should probably start with is, um, the meaning of it. You know, when people say, uh, old guard, we aren't necessarily talking about someone who's old, not talking about you or me, Daniel. We're not going to talk about our ages. (laughs) We leave that for another day. I'm 27 Um, forever. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, what people I think are talking about more is someone on the scene who's a little bit more established. Um, they might be slightly more conservative or traditional in their approach to things like gear, protocol. Um, On the fetish scene, we know that this can often uh, refer to the much more traditional leather man when people say old guard compared to the younger, colorful or more trendy rubber guy or the more trendy sports guy. Um, but, you know, we also have, uh, I guess for the sake of this conversation, not to throw losing anyone out, but, you know, we have our old guard rubber guys as well, like the other ones who believe that rubber should only be black and rubber should never be polished, which is definitely not me. I like a bit of color and I like it shiny and sparkly. I know a lot of guys that <laughs> like it like this also. What a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but we can't escape the fact that it also sometimes means someone who doesn't easily accept the new ideas or someone who doesn't embrace embrace, you know, the adapting to modern trends or modern times. So when we talk about New Guard for the sake of this discussion, we're generally talking about someone who could even maybe be a bit younger, you know, and I'll say this in quotes, um, let's say the rule breaker uh, will be the New Guard or the modern trendsetters, you know, often these uh, can be complete newbies to the scene who aren't necessarily bothered by formality or protocols. Um, but we know that there is very often in this dynamic a culture clash, you know, between the old guard and the new guard. Um, so I think we should like kick right off with um, uh, what exactly this might mean or how this affects the scene. So let's get uh, thoughts in from Sandy. Um, so, welcome, Sandy. Hi. I'm very excited to be talking about this topic because it's something that as soon as I joined Recon and kind of entered the fetish scene that it was very apparent that there was a bit of a split. And for me, it's only really apparent when you go to events, right? You You kind of... I suppose it's a bit different for us because at Recon, we don't tend to have separate kind of events. All of the fetishes kind of roam about together. So leather men, rubber men, sports guys, the puppies, everyone kind of gets involved in that one space. But often if you go to, uh, you know, a bar, in Berlin, for example, you can see the separation a little bit. You can see the leather men in a separate area or even, you know, specific leather nights or rubber nights or whatever. And you can, you can 
ultimately get a different feel as to how people want to be approached. And I think that's the really interesting thing about it because it's only really in real spaces that this culture clash kind of happens. And so, because ultimately it's about in, it's about interacting with each other, right? <laughs> because if you are, if you, if you regard yourself as a new guard person, how do you interact and engage with someone that you fancy or like the look of who is more old guard? You have to kind of subscribe to their culture or one of you has to make the compromise about, you know, we're not going to care about these rules or actually I want the formality because that's what turns me on. But I just wonder how that dynamic kind of comes to play. And I also am really intrigued as to why this dynamic within the fetish scene is about. But I do think that events have kind of accelerated it because it's an opportunity for you to engage and meet with people in real life, but also to proudly display your fetish um, and display your fetish in a way that you want to display it. So I'm super excited that our special guest is here because actually one of, one of the biggest culture clashes in terms of events is Folsom Europe. So, um, Antoine, do you want to introduce our special guest? Absolutely. You know, one of the things I was going to talk about as well was you can definitely, this is definitely one of the places where you see the culture clashes happening right up and down the street. So let's welcome in our guest, who's going to be the brilliant uh, Daniel Rooster. And some of you may not know. (laughs) Hello, hello. We have him to thank for bringing uh, Folsom to uh, to Europe, you know, under the under the name Folsom Europe. But Daniel, you can tell us a little bit more about that. And I think one of the reasons I'll state to you that why I thought it was really good for us to chat to you about this topic is, you know, as Sandy said, you know, we see the cultures clashing together, mostly at events, and we see it very often at this one. And you, as, you know, let's say one of the founders of probably Europe's biggest fetish, uh, gay male fetish event. Um, I think over the years that you've been involved with it and been around it, you've seen uh, how it started, the dynamic and the shift, you know, and walking it up and down the street where you can see the people. And I think over years, I can say too, I think we've seen the changes, but let's get you in and, uh, and talk about that. Sounds great. Hi, Daniel. <laughs> hey, Sandy. Antoine. Hi. Hello, hello to London. Yeah, greetings from Germany. Um, yeah, indeed. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders of Folsom Europe. And um, at the end, I only got inspired by the fantastic events in San Francisco on the West Coast by our mother company if, uh, who are producing Folsom Street Fair, which everybody knows, and the smaller sister event, um, Dory Alley, at the end of July, also in San Francisco. Kind of same concept, a bit smaller. And uh, news for those who haven't seen it the last days and weeks, we also have a new baby in Australia, Folsom Down Under in Melbourne. Oh, yeah. Oh, cute. Yeah, exclusive oh, news for Recon Podcast only. Oh my God, <laughs> you, you'd spoil us. Yeah, world exclusive news, breaking news. So um, yeah, Melbourne is starting. They're going to do a little party this year. Due to Corona, they cannot do much more. But next year in March, I think they plan their first street fair in Melbourne. Folsom. Antoine, book the tickets. Book the tickets right now. (laughs) Indeed. The earlier, the better. Yeah. So, old God, new God. Isn't that an interesting, amazing uh, story uh, or topic, you know, to talk about? Um, I think what is super important is to have a look back of the history and the roots, you know, where does it all come from? I mean, if we look back, 
what we know the beginning of that let's call it fetish scene is indeed the 50s and 60s and back then we talk about leather we talk about biker gear you know we talk about the first clubs like the 69 in uh, in the uk um all these msc clubs who were founded in the early 70s in germany and uh you know back then when when fetish guys were actually meeting under the protection of a motor sports club pretending to be a biker or be a biker either or you know to have an excuse in those days to go out and fetish without getting strange looks or maybe even being refused at bars so people thought you are a leather man a biker james dean type you know mm-hmm. and that was cool and then in the 70s of course there was this huge influence of tom of finland yeah and you know all his models were having sexy uniforms lots of leather and that was really creating you know a fetish was really i mean people saw that and they felt attracted to it and um so it became kind of a a trend a fashion you know and i do remember even in the late 90s it was still mainly about leather it must have been around the year 2000 that i've been in san francisco a lot and i remember there was a fantastic bar called the loading dock uh, in somer south of market and on Fridays and Saturdays, they had a bouncer at the door and they had a very strict dress code, which included leather only. Only for Friday and Saturday, you know, the rest of the week, everybody was welcome because otherwise you don't make enough money. <laughs> but <laughs> I, <laughs> me as a European, I thought that's strange. People in rubber were refused at the door because they were not part of our community. And I thought that is so wrong, you know, um, but it shows that it's not long, too long ago that we still had these really strong separation you know you're either leather or you're not Mm -hmm. and our fetish community the roots at least the basic um basis was actually defining itself you know are you a leather man or are you not and i think that's what we still see a lot in the so-called old god community that people really have these old stereotypes old fetishes, inspirations, however you want to call it. I'm not saying it's bad, not at all, but I didn't like the separation. That was something I felt, hmm, here in Europe, we are a bit more forward to that. And you could argue why. Is it that we were more inclusive or was it that our commercial part of the community, like the bars, the shops, they realized that the leather community is a little bit on the dying way, you know, like fading out slowly and new fetishes are coming so if i exclude the new fetish it also means you know i'm accepting that my old community gets smaller and smaller and less important so that's how i think it all started and indeed here in europe we were uh, much more forward uh, in the 90s and the zeros uh, compared to the uh, fetish community in the us or canada i think it's interesting as well now that i'm thinking about it in the us they often refer to like there's, I mean, we get to travel quite a bit and we get to see a lot of people's different approaches to fetish and kink. But it's really interesting because in the US, they always refer to the community as the leather community or the leather and kink community. Leather is really prominent in that language that they use. Whereas I think in Europe and maybe in the UK as well, we tend to say the fetish community or the kink community or the scene. We kind of use this this terminology to include everyone. So maybe that I didn't even think about that. That. And I think maybe, maybe because 
in America, the roots are that Tom of Finland, San Francisco biker. That's what I have in my head anyway, that kind of look and feel. And it makes sense to what you're saying in terms of the 50s and 60s, them trying to assimilate into, you know, the rest of the world. So people would kind of like, they could cloak, but still be, you know, themselves in a sense. So assimilation into like um, the real world is kind of important for protection and survival, I suppose, being a gay person and right. being a, you know, a, a gay man into fetish. So that's, yeah, I never really thought about it like that, but I think language is really important here. I think recognizing the change or the shift has been really good. Cause if you remember at one point, um, we used to say, you know, uh, find, uh, you know, there was all these different tags for all the different branches of world leathermen, world rubbermen. Oh yeah, for recon. World skins, da, da, da. And with recon, it was all very, very separate. And then there was this other shift that started to happen. Um, and I would probably say this was maybe around the early to mid 2000s. Um, when, you know, I think maybe Sandy, this may have been one that started when you came, you know, it, it changed to like fine fetish men. Mm. And we understood that there was a, changing dynamic within the scene that we just couldn't call everybody leather men anymore because mm. the king scene was much more than just the all guard leather guy, you know, standing in the door, going to the strict dress code leather bar. Um, and funnily enough, you know, there are some, well, there was uh, some places here in London that used to also be the same. You could only get it in leather and you could only wear boots. And I remember that thing that where we say the two cultures would clash um, at one point, trainers became trendy to wear with gear and you would go to the leather bar. And at one point you wouldn't be allowed in with trainers at all. You had to be in boots and they were very specific about the type of boots that you wore. So they were really still sticking to this old guard idea. And I guess not necessarily embracing, you know, the new guard idea or the new trendy idea as trainers started to take off and, you know, sportswear started to become more popular. I think, Antoine, I think, you know, to be honest and to be fair, I'm not saying that in the US or in Canada, people are more old guard, old fashioned, mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. as open up. But I think here in Europe, we were earlier, you know, we were yeah, doing it yeah. earlier, the change, the opening up. Um, like for some Europe in 2004, when we had the first street fair, from the beginning, we always called it the leather and fetish event the leather and fetish street fair. It was never a leather street fair because I thought, you know, that's a bit too much, too much looking back and not looking for, looking into the future, you know. We also have to keep in mind, I mean, there are, hmm, there are other reasons why we had these uh, dominance of leather for decades. Um, it's also a question of availability. You know, there were not many um, guys uh, or companies able to work with rubber in the 70s and 80s, whereas leather was much easier. There was all the experience with the biker gear, you know, with the police, the heavy police jackets in some U.S. states, etc. Um, so, I mean, I think there are some things that made a big change. We nowadays have... It started in the UK. I remember companies like Regulation and, and other ones, you know, who were really um, big into into the skinhead gear as well, for example, and into the the rubber gear, you know, in the in the zeros already. We have Black Style in Berlin, which is a fantastic shop, you know, which is like a shopping paradise for rubber guys. But in the 70s and 80s, you didn't have that. And there were a lot of people then experimenting and starting to do their own outfits, you know, with that material. And I also think a big change in the U.S., for example, has been that international, Mr. International Rubber 
in Chicago, that event, yes. you know, yeah. that made it more public, you know. And we have a Robert Willie in Chicago. We have John Wright in LA, who is a, a very interesting person. He's an old guard type on the one hand. He's an old guy with experience. But he was always into rubber and leather. And he always loved to either do rubber or leather or even mix it, which we see a lot nowadays, you know, people in crotch high Wesco boots and then a rubber suit uh, underneath, you know, which uh, which shows that things have changed. And it was a very long way. And um, I mean, nowadays it, you can hardly follow the number of fetishes anymore we have. I mean, Sandy mentioned it, you know, from the sports gear to the puppy scene, et cetera, et cetera. And we still have different opinions on that, you know, I mean, we, now I talk for Force in Europe, we're very open to any fetish because I think it's, honestly, it's super sexy and it's also a way for a lot of people to step into a community, an mm -hmm. easy way to get in. The reason, sorry, the reason why the, uh, the leather community was uh, getting smaller and smaller and other fetishes became more popular are very different ones, I think. First of all, <laughs> I can tell you for myself, leather is not always super comfortable. It is sexy. <laughs> it is well, it's, not. It's, it's, no. it changes your posture. It's super, it's super restrictive. I feel it, 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 for me, leather is one of the ones that when you put it on, you either have to take on the persona that it gives you, or you, or it kind of just envelops you in the wrong way. I don't know. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So, I have the feeling a lot when I, sometimes I see people in your caps and I feel like to me, it looks like a costume, but if you're fine with it, I'm fine with it. You know, that's the freedom yeah. that we have in our community, but I know what you mean. It is, uh, it is changing the persona. I mean, if I, I'm not saying that I don't get enough attention, I cannot complain, but, <laughs> <laughs> but although I'm 50 already, but if I put on my full bluff style leather uniform, you know, the attention is much bigger indeed. And then mm. a lot of younger guys are totally attracted to it. And I love it. But after a few hours, I feel like, oh God, I think I should go back to the hotel and change into something more comfortable, to be honest, you know? So I totally understand that pe people, you know, um, I have different ideas what what is I mean if you look at the pick party for example our famous party at Folsom Europe the dress code is very different from the street fair and the street fair is also different from a bluff dinner somewhere in a Berlin or London restaurant that we have all over these days and that has to do with you know you have to find the right fetish for the right situation I think it has to be comfortable if, or it has to look super hot and then you don't care about the comfort and um, so it is fucking stiff. Can I say that? Fucking stiff to wear full leather three layers. Yeah, you can. <laughs> it is fucking stiff. It looks super sexy. I'm a leather guy too. But, you know, I would never go to that uh, in that outfit to a pig party or a fetish party in London, you know? Yeah. No, not the right one. Well, this is one of the things I want to ask. You know, I think when we talk about the old and the new coming together and like the clashes, Daniel, how do you, how do you see yourself as old guard, somewhere in the middle, new guard, or have you yourself shifted your your thoughts or your beliefs on it? Mm, I wouldn't say I've shifted my beliefs. I would say I have learned. I've got so much experience over the decades of being in the community. And, uh, you know, when I was young, I was very much into leather guys. And that's how I started with this. But, you know, when I had uh, relations in the UK, tries with a guy, and, and then you get more, 
you know, connected with the skin gear, for example, as a normal uh, daily fetish in a, in a gay bar, you know, somewhere in the old Bromptons, Comptons, whatever it's called there in London, you know, Vauxhall, Vauxhall <laughs> and all these yeah. fantastic areas where you can spend the nights, you know, and uh, that can be super sexy too. So I think for me, it's a little bit about being open and learning. And that's something... I always, you know, love to do my entire life, not only in our community, you know, I think if it's work or if it's, you know, traveling the world, experiencing cultures, I think it's always the best to be open to new things. You don't have to agree with everything. You don't have to follow any trend. But I have problems if people have trouble with people being different, you know, no matter if it's race or gender or whatever. It's so boring, I think, and being so closed up in your head. So, yeah, this is where I see myself being very comfortable with everything. Do I think that the puppies are super sexy and cute? Very often they are, you know, because they are indeed young and cute and sexy and uh, not all of them, but, you know, they are, might be attractive. Would I be the one? <laughs> <laughs> would I be no the shade. one? No shade. <laughs> Yeah. So would funny. I be the one leashing them around on their four legs uh, on a Thursday afternoon before the foursome fair uh, and, and you know, puts a leash on my chair on a restaurant's terrace? No, that's not me, you know. If others do yeah. that, I might like it or not, but I have to respect it, you know. We are always asking for respect of being the way we are. So I think that's very important for all of us. And what I think is very important, those new fetishes did not only save our community – you know, but they also get their own experiences. We have a lot of young guys who, you know, start in the puppy scene or with some sports gear or just some sneakers and a harness and a sexy, you know, whatever underwear line. And uh, after the years in our community, you know, they get more interest in other things. And then they might say for the first, first pair of Wescos or their first Langlitz jackets, which is fucking expensive, let's be honest. I mean, traveling to all these events and having two suitcase cases full of <laughs> different gear costs you a fortune, you know? And so the young guy in university will not be able to afford this at all. I think that's part of the fun for some people, though. I think they like the rigmarole of, like, dragging their two suitcases to Berlin and being like, look at all the gear that I have. It's all it's all part of the, the ritual, I think. I can remember when I first started this job and I went to my first IML, which was at the Palmer House Hilton. And oh, this, nice. My, my first IML was 2007. And I remember they said to me, you know, um, okay, go down to the lobby and just watch the escalators. And it was <laughs> a thing that people came in the hotel and they came with loads of suitcases <laughs> and they would spend the day changing their gear as many times as possible. And catwalk, basically the catwalk was the yeah. escalator. <laughs> and, yeah. and people would stand and they would applaud. And you know, this is a- <laughs> Yes, people would wow, stand and they would applaud. Okay. And, well, I mean, you understand too that this is another one of those points where I think, let's say, the old guard and the new guard would clash. They would come together, and maybe clash isn't the right word in this particular context, but they would they would come together. Yeah. Because when you have these, um, you know, the big hotel events with the big markets, this was also the time where a lot of fetish brands um, were introducing new gear. 
So this was the time to show off a what you bought in the market that day or what you what you brought with you that maybe you hadn't worn before. And so the entire weekend was just a fashion parade up and down <laughs> the escalator. It was every day. It was all day. So for me, you know, as the first time, this was like my first experience of seeing the old and the new come together in this way. It was just something to watch. I don't think it happens anymore, but see listeners, if you are not part of the scene and you're just joining us and listening and trying to understand what's going on here, <laughs> having the impression of the fetish scene is one thing in your mind. It's a very different thing. It's literally just a bunch of gays going, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a fashion. I mean, okay. On, on, I'm joking. On it's, the other it's, side it's of it, that is. on the other side of it, you know, I, I would probably say new guard people don't kill me, but for a lot of the new guard guys, it's definitely the fashion is such an important thing as mm. well. So that's something we can't get away from. So I just gave you like, okay, one of my personal experiences of, of how these bits came together. Sandy, what's one of your um, personal experiences? Um, so I think that I'm, I think I'm probably quite similar to um, Daniel on this, that my thought process is I would regard myself now as new guard or having more new guard tendencies, but I have massive respect for the old guard in terms of tradition and protocol and all of that kind of stuff, because you can't ignore, you know, how things come to the way they are now, you know, there, there's a, there's always a history. There's always a story. There's also, there's always something or meaning behind specific things in the way that they are. And for me, I always like to learn and I'm really interested in people and what they've been through. So I always want to understand that. And ultimately I think that I have to respect it. So I, that's, that's my own personal opinion. And I think that working for recon has really opened my eyes up to that, to really understand that that's what we have to do. You know, you have to engage with new people and the way that they want to explore their fetish journey, because that was one thing for me that I felt first coming into it, I felt very like I had to adopt certain things as, and it felt alien to me. And I really struggled to figure out how can I be myself in a space and explore what I want to explore without feeling outcasted. Cause that's the whole point, right? You're supposed to find your tribe. And, and I didn't, like I said, wearing leather to me didn't feel right. Do you remember when we went to that LA den dinner? I think I've said this story before, but that was a really interesting experience. We went to, we were invited to a formal leather dinner in LA. That was, that was um, great. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was a really great party, but um, I instantly panicked. I, re I remember turning to Antoine and being like, I don't know what to wear. I, I can't really do this. Like wearing leather head to toe is really intimidating for me. But you know, Antoine helped me and we got like, I borrowed your, I borrowed your leather vest. In fact, your leather shirt, sorry. Um, and I got a jacket and I got some jeans and I went and I mean, no one was formal, but, <laughs> but I made an effort and I felt good about it, but I could feel the transformation within myself to be different. And I didn't, 
I didn't enjoy that. You know, if I'm being honest, the only real leather that I'll wear is like motorcycle gear because I feel like there's an aspect of myself that's quite sporty anyway. So that feels kind of like intrinsically me. Um, but that's just how I want to explore my fetish and my kink. I still want to feel like me, but I just want to feel like this type of me. I mean, Daniel and Antoine, you know me really well. I struggle to not be myself at any time in any given situation. So if you put me in a situation or a place, you're going to get Sandy 100%, like regardless of where it is. I can totally relate to this. Yeah, I love my moto suit. I remember the first time I had to wear like formal leathers. I was a claw. And of course they had their big... uh, leather their brunch mm. and it was the first year we'd sponsored and we got called on stage for an award and of course because i didn't have much leather i had some wescos i just bought that i could barely fucking get into <laughs> my feet were pounding i bought these new leather jeans and a new leather shirt in the market at claw that year when they called me up for the award the leather was so stiff i couldn't get out of the chair <laughs> two people had to Two people had to like hold me and lift me up so that I could stand. And I just, I will never forget the face of Bob Miller standing on stage in absolute hysterics as I was trying to, I couldn't get out of the chair. And I kind of get that, you know, when I, at some, there are different types of leather. I think also by the nature of our job, sometimes we have to change the way we dress if we're going to particular events. And I would say in certain things, I feel in leather a bit of a fraud. Yes. If I'm wearing my... An imposter. Yeah. Now, (laughs) if I'm wearing my kilt... I can swish around in it and be flamboyant oh, and I can be crazy. Kill? Of course I do. <laughs> oh, cute. I'm going to get one of those. I need to get one of those. I, oh, you not kept to, that from me. Not to Mr. <laughs> S Leather. I also, because, because when I saw it, I thought that's probably more me, you know, than like the bluff style. And I think a lot of it is about what you feel comfortable in and can you be your true self when you're wearing it rather than necessarily... I wouldn't say pretending to be someone else, but I think, you know, the whole point of gearing up is because we want to be true to who we are. Like that other person that we hide should be coming out. Um, and I think this is also sometimes where the clash happens. You know, we would, let's say, go to a leather dinner and I would say the, the old guard guy would probably look at me a bit funny if I came in my leather overalls and my trainers uh, mm. and something else. And if I wasn't in something that was a little more traditional. But when I go for the more traditional, I, I kind of feel like a fraud. I don't feel like I'm being true to who I am. I don't feel like I can be myself. So in this instance, for me, you know, the, the, old guard in me, because of course I respect the traditions and everything else, clashes within the new guard, you know, clashes with the new guard that's also within me. So Mm. this I I struggle with myself. Daniel, how, where do you stand on this? Yeah. I think, I think you, you got a point, you know, Antoine, you have to be comfortable with yourself and with the gear on. Um, I found it always interesting when we have IML, for example, you know, where everybody flies in or falls in Europe, where most people fly in with all the limitations we have nowadays, if you have to fly coach, at least, which I heard. Um, what's that? <laughs> oh, coach, what's that? You are yeah. so bougie. Coach, I don't know, Antoine. There must be something behind us there, back wow. in the cabin. Uh, wow. So they obviously have uh, less luggage for free as than we do. So people really travel in full gear sometimes. Or the rest because they are fucking heavy you know mm. so i understand that i always feel like i would die can you imagine a 10-hour flight over the atlantic <gasps> in full gear and leather boots i would no. die in it so i rather you know have more luggage with me and have everything packed uh 
I think you have to be comfortable. And that is, and I also think sometimes, you know, a little joy, a little fun is also super interesting. We have, for example, the sisters. The sisters are a huge impact in our community for decades all over the world. And I always love it when you see how much joy the sisters have dressing up for each event in a different way. Mm, yeah. You know? Um, so they always mix elements. And you see that in our community as well. I mentioned that before, rubber and leather. We have for a few years now, we have, uh, talking about heels, you know, we have that trend that some guys, either as contestants on IML stage or on the streets fairs, show up in the super sexy leather and then some black high heels and i have to say i love it would i wear them no not only because they might break underneath me and i look stupid in it <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh no I, I that's not me but i think it is mm. fantastic and these guys they don't look any less sexy to me you know if they are my type if they are those muscle tattooed bearded guys and they have these uh, these high heels with their full leather i think it's a funny joyful element They make me smile and it might be even, you know, a way to open up to talk to somebody who's from old God. But I do know that a lot of old God guys hate that. And, and this is where I have the problem. And, you know, I don't care if you call yourself old God or new God. I want everybody to be open. Yes, and at the yeah. end, it's about the person, the personality behind it, you know. It is not a custom for us. It is a fetish. It's something we love and believe in. But at the end, you know, it's still about the personality. And um, I think our community is very conservative sometimes, especially in the leather it community. It is extremely conservative. We have this stereotype that is so old-fashioned, you know, the man in leather looking butch mm. looking like the superman the superhero that is the you know the cliche the fetish the how it started and we try to be more butch more manly than Arnold Schwarzenegger or whoever you know and, uh, <laughs> I, love that, I love that that was your example <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, who else could I come up with Boris Johnson is not really uh, <laughs> so <laughs> nevertheless really mask type. <laughs> nevertheless I think sometimes and that's where i see people old god sometimes they are a bit afraid by changing things they're giving up their masculinity yes. their, you know their way of being seen and i think that's a bit sad that's not necessary you know be open be joyful and yeah as i said before it's always more interesting to learn from others so, so there, so anything that I want to just add to what you said, actually, because I think that in some ways the scene is super progressive and super open. And in other ways it is super conservative and a little bit closed minded. And I think that that's the struggle between it. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. This struggle between two ideologies and the way that we should kind of move forward with, you know, the future of the scene and helping it grow and helping it to survive. I know that we've kind of spoken a lot about like the gear aspect of the old guard and new guard, but I don't want us to also forget that there's also something about um, like what you think and how you behave on the scene as well. And I'll just add a little bit to my own personal experience as well as, you know, I, like I said, it, I've struggled to not be myself in any situation. So when I first joined, I also felt like I had to kind of hide my 
non-masculine characteristics <laughs> as so like my silly demeanor which i think is a bit more is seen as more femme like i spoke about it a little bit in the femme podcast swishy as well sandy. swishy sandy exactly i felt like i had to hide some of that because the scene was not open to receiving that i think it's a lot better now to be honest but i also think that for me as an individual recon has been a vehicle to kind of like help open those boundaries and therefore it's helped me and I and in turn I've kind of been able to express myself too because at the end of the day regardless of where, what you're wearing or how you're wearing it or how you're behaving it's all about expression and the fetish community to me is really about the freedom to sexually express yourself as well um but that's that's just I just wanted to add that I would say this is one of the things I love about Folsom Europe. If I could describe it as that as well, this is probably one of the most penultimate expressions of fetishism ever. Mm. You walk down the street and you see everything. You see it all. And what's great is that I think it's one of the, you know, we we said earlier about, you know, the, the old and the new clashing. And I probably can't say it enough times. It's really great to see how, even though you can identify the differences. And I mean, if you go down the street on a different day, you can definitely tell the old guard guys are hanging out there and the new guard (laughs) guys are hanging out there. It's very clear. You can see the sea of them. There's a swarm. Mm. But what's really great is how over the years, I think we have seen such a massive shift in, let's say, a little bit less of a clash than maybe even 10 years ago. And it seems to be merging just a yeah. little bit more. And I think, you know, like a question for for everyone to answer. Um, <clears throat> how would you describe yourself? Would you describe yourself as old guard or new guard? And let, I'll begin. For For me, I think it's, it's a little bit tricky. I would probably say that I'm maybe middle to new. It's probably like the guy who never admits that he's 100% passive or 100% active. <laughs> I'm somewhere in the middle there, you know, but it definitely geared towards one, one side more than the other. And I think I'm definitely much more, um, you know, new guard minded. Um, Sandy, what about you? Oh, I'm definitely new guard minded. But like I said, I have huge respect for the old guard and I would never want to... Um, disrespect or devalue the history and the tradition of something. But I want to be able to figure out how to make the rules work for me um, and be able to change and evolve stuff without disrespecting the original meaning, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Daniel, would you be describe yourself as old guard or new guard or somewhere shifting? I think I, I wouldn't say a split personality, but uh, <laughs> I have. <laughs> does it does yeah. it depend on the person that you're interacting with? Yeah. Um, no, let's say it that way. When you talk about my fetish, my gear, the stuff that I wear, the way people see me, um, it is what we call old guard. You know, mm. I have the full Langlands Westco VK seventy nine collection. We have the playroom at home with all this black and red and, you know, masculine, indeed. And I also have a very close connection to the old guard community in 
preserving our history. I'm a member of the Board of Governors at the Leather Hall of Fame. I'm a huge fan and supporter of the Leather Archive and Museum in Chicago. I think it's very, very important, you know, to really keep in mind where do we all come from? Why do we have a lifestyle nowadays that we have? But when it comes to the inside, to my mind, I am everything but uh, this closed up old guard types that we have. Not all old yeah. guard types are like that, but I, as I said, I, I find it super funny and, and, and joyful and, and nice if people, you know, mix their mix their outfits and play with their, their gender and their sexuality. Why do we yeah. all have to be that, you know, I can say that you can't, that white cis man from the 50s, you know, who is uh, <laughs> living in this one stereotype only. Why can't we open up and, and, and mix and have fun and experience new things and learn from each other. Okay, so we've run on quite a little bit. I think it's time for us to maybe have a little bit of a break. Yeah. But I think we've all touched on a few really, really good points here, talking about things like history, tradition, rules, protocol, um, you know, function. These are all bits. Let's have a break and then when we come back, we can st touch on these points and dig a little bit deeper. And Daniel, I didn't want to cut you off. You can come back to that point when we come back. I <laughs> promise. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Ugh. Again. <sighs> Next door, having all the fun again. Get yourself off and get even with Regulation. We're the UK's premier destination for fetish gear, sex toys and restraints. Gear up with a wide range of rubber, leather and sportswear, including many styles ready to ship next day. Maybe it's bondage, chastity, pop play, pain, pleasure or a bit of both. Whatever interests you, you'll find what you need in our 10,000 strong catalogue of kink. Regulation, for whatever you're into. Shop online at regulation.co.uk. You just better warn the neighbours. Hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast or some of the other ones you may have listened to previously. And if you do, please send us your feedback, comments or any suggestions at podcast at recon.com. So welcome back. Hopefully you guys had a really cute little break you know, <laughs> yeah. going in. We're going to talk about what has changed on the scene throughout history. And I think we've all like maybe... Um, touch on a few little bits and points uh, beforehand, um, you know, but I would definitely say I did an, uh, an interview for uh, Attitude magazine a while back. And one of the things I talked about was at the time when I lived in New York back in the 90s, in the mid 90s. And I can remember going down Christopher Street and, you know, and passing um, not necessarily like a leather club, but, you know, like a leather bar. And what was interesting is that there was such a diverse mix of things on the street anyway, but the leather bars and the leather shops definitely stood out. And it has been really something if I go down now to see how much has changed. Um, and what I find quite interesting at some points, I sometimes feel like the scene has come so far in 20 years, but you know, there are so many things that seems like we are reverting backwards and I can't understand why we're going back to this conservatism. You know, there are other things which are disappearing from the scene, which I think are, are missing. And it's like, okay, not necessarily that we want to have the exact same thing back, but I think this is where we probably rely on 
I guess, the new guard guys to maybe start doing what the old guard did back then, which was breaking the rules and coming out and being mm. more visible and being more public. Very and good that's point. something which we don't see so much anymore. So what, I mean, Daniel, what are your thoughts on this? I think it's one of the things we talked about was seeing how, you know, there's been such a massive shift in the visual presence that we see between the old and the new guard, like at the street fair, at the Folsom Street Fair. Um, you know, you as the guy, you know, behind it, you, you're in the perfect seat to see this happen. Um, I think the major difference nowadays is A, the opportunities we have and B, the speed of our times. See, when I started traveling in the late 90s to the US, to Canada, I was deeply impressed about things I haven't seen so much in Europe. Like this whole, for example, the Wesco boots. I'm a huge boot lover. And those Wesco boots, those quad-high boots, lace-up boots up to your, to your hips, you know, that's something I've never seen in Europe. Whereas in San Francisco, when you went out, you know, on the Eagle Tavern on a Sunday afternoon with a beer bust, there were all these gays with, you know, leather, uh, with jeans and then those leather boots, just a, just a uh, harness or vest. And that was really a new wow effect for me. And it took me a while to, to develop that, to, to, you know, discover that. Nowadays, the speed is so, so much faster. We have the internet. That's a huge change. We always, I remember like 15 years ago when it got really big with the internet 15, 20 years ago, yeah, more 15 years ago, they all said, oh, the internet is killing our community. You know, but guys don't go to the bars anymore to cruise, et cetera, et cetera. There is some truth in that. And I think it has been a bigger issue in North America than in Europe is my experience because the bars in Berlin are still full on weekends and uh, in other cities as well. Um, but the internet brought a lot of great things, you know, we can learn so much. I mean, we can shop online, we see pictures, we see videos, we talk to people around the world that we maybe never meet in reality. And without the internet, we would have never met them. So I think that's a huge difference nowadays. And I talked about this before, opportunities. See, if you want something that doesn't exist these days, you go to Blackstyle. Or you go to Mr. B and you say, can you do that? And they do anything for you. They do anything in every yeah. size, in every mat, uh, color, material, whatever you like. They will do it for you. And we didn't have that. When I had my very first leather jacket in 19... Oh, my God. Can you please uh, not listen? 89, 1990, you know, <laughs> in Berlin. They you started Mr. young. <laughs> they you, don't Mr. Day, you don't look a day over 25. It's okay. I know, and everybody will wonder, didn't he say he's 27? How can that be? It's my split-up personality, of course. But I remember there was a, a, a place called Günther's Leder, blah, blah, blah. I don't even remember anymore. He had a studio in a residential home somewhere in the back, and you only knew it from spreading the words around. You know, nowadays you just uh, think, what do I want to get and where do I get it? You know, where do I get the best style, the best price or whatever? And you order it online. And that has totally changed the whole community. And um, that's why I think we have now, you know, these developments of the new guard diving into old guard. Because I think with the speed that we have, and that's not our inner community, it's in our daily life. Yeah. I mean, everything is so fast these days and everything changes and sometimes you feel overwhelmed and i think what we realize is that people are more and more looking 
back, you know, to the old days and trying to keep a little, take a little from the old days as a little anchor in your life to calm down, maybe nice experiences. And I think, you know, that, for example, the bluff we talked about at the, the uh, development of young guys now being into bluff suddenly is a little bit, you know, like preserving the tradition, being part of the tradition, even if you're pretty young and you have never lived in the 70s or 80s. It's really funny. I think sometimes in the scene, we forget that there is a world outside of the scene and that society and the changes within society affect every marginalized community or every kind of micro community. It's, you know, Anton, you mentioned about people kind of maybe being a bit more conservative. I think it's true of the world right now. You know, we've gone into this kind of well, we're, we're trying to come out of this like post-Trump era where, you know, there, it was super conservative and the, and the ideals and stuff like that were really backwards. So I, I, I think that it's just people, people are people and they have to react, engage and interact with each other outside in the real world. And why wouldn't you take those same ideals into a smaller community that you're part of? And I just think it's just, I just think it's the nature of the way human beings operate. Um, and yeah, I have to agree. Like, I mean, obviously I came into the scene a bit later, but I would, I would think that, you know, and we have some, some responsibility here, I suppose, as well as recon, like with the introduction of apps that must have accelerated and changed it so drastically as well. You know, um, technology is a huge influence on everything, you know, that we have in the world, um, and the accessibility of how we kind of get stuff as well. And I think that probably the internet gave access to and access and, um, visibility to the scene and to the community. So which meant that people obviously wanted to be a part of it more so than, you know, back in the day when you had to hear it from word of mouth. So, you know, the, the only real insight, I suppose, into the community would be by the person that told you about it rather than now you can see pictures, you can see video, you can see, you know, whatever. Um, so maybe that might have changed it as well. And that has an influence on it too. I think one of the things that um, we know has been really important, you know, we talk about the evolution in the scene. And, you know, I think we all touched on points around traditions, you know, and all the things that remain in place. And I think it's, you know, the question would also be, we don't want to forget the traditions, you know, yeah. but we know that the scene has got to change somehow. Um, and I think this has also been a part of how we see the change. And I would probably think maybe by the acceleration of the speed at which things are changing, we have let go of it or we have lost a bit of it. And I think in maybe the simplest firm, uh, sorry, one of the simplest terms would be if I think about something like dress code, I remember also my first year going to Berlin and going to uh, the snacks party. And I was told, you don't get in here unless you're completely geared up, dressed up. And I remember people would be geared up absolutely from head to toe. And if you came in just a jockstrap and a harness, 
you almost look like you didn't make an effort. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is how we've seen an evolution or a change in the scene where I don't want to sound so conservative by saying, you know, the dress code dress code has been watered down um, because it's also a part of what opens the door for us to allow, let's say, the new guard or the new people in who maybe can't afford the full gear. Yeah. And if we don't have an avenue for these people to come onto the scene or to join into the scene, then they will be forever on the outside. So I'll probably say that, you know, this change has been one of the positive things I think that's happened to the scene. Um, but at the same time, you know, we don't want to lose traditions. Um, Daniel, how have you seen a change of tradition at the street fair in terms of it being a good thing or a bad thing? Well, we have seen changes, first of all, um, not only by size. We started with around three and a half thousand blokes the first year and now we have a uh, 15 20 so sorry now we have 15 20 25000 guys girls queers on the fair and um that brings a variety automatically um i always have seen it as a huge gift and a chance um honestly there's nothing more boring than 20000 guys looking the same <laughs> right how can you pick it's like being yeah. a, a little little boy in a candy store for the first time and too overwhelmed because there are 500 different products and you don't know what to grab and eat so um i think the more different they are the more the better it is for, for a street fair you know it's the idea why did i why did i have the idea to bring Folsom to europe um it was actually because of all my visits in san francisco and it was on one of the flights coming back from san francisco and I was sitting on the aircraft and I was thinking, God, that was so fantastic. And I was thinking, like, why don't we have that here in Europe? You know, it's the idea is to to mingle under the sun with a beer or Coke in your hand and to meet old friends and make new friends. And it was not so much the sexual thing for me that I really loved in San Francisco, because the street fair is sexual in a visual way, but it's not sex, you know, that you experience there. Um and that's why I think Forsum Europe had this huge success because people came. And yes, it is a little bit like IML. It is a catwalk for some people. And that's fine with me. You know, you want to present yourself. It's a meat market. Let's be honest. You talked about snacks or the big body. It's a fucking meat market. And, and we are very visual. And that's okay with you. But I like it that people, you know, can be themselves. And for me, you know, it's much better that somebody is being himself and being in in rubber in sports gear or as a puppy and it is authentic then you know slipping into leather when it looks like a carnival's costume just because you have the feeling i have to no you don't have to you know it is uh, i think our fetish community is growing is changing old things disappear old things come back new things come in some new things disappear again and i think that is fantastic I think one of the things that's going to be really important, especially when we see these changes coming, is that we don't necessarily, you know, abandon the old guard rules um, so that we completely lose fetish traditions. But at the same time, I think we still have to remain open to embrace that people are going to do things very differently. Um, and I think <sighs> yeah, this can be, you know, whether it's 
about gear or dress code or attitude or personality when you're out. Um, one thing, you know, that, that has come up maybe not so much as something around, you, you know, the protocols, let's say when we're dealing with old guard and new guard and understanding what those things are um, and understanding what happens when we break the rules or we allow people to do them or not. And I think, you know, I had a really uh, interesting episode out at an event and I was wearing my chain with a padlock, mm. you know, and someone said to me, oh, well, who has the key? Who owns you? And I was like, well, no one owns me. And you know, in my mind, I have my own reason why I wear it. And there are two reasons why I wear it. Um, one, the people who understand what it is will probably leave me alone, which probably means I can do my job in peace and nobody will bother me. <laughs> and the other part is also because I like the look and the feel of it. So there are two reasons why. But someone said to me, you know, well, oh, you're a fake kingster, you know. Uh, and the guy just basically turned away, you know, left me at the bar and walked away. Um, Sandy, I think you might have a very interesting chain story. I for mean, us. I'm not going to tell you about the IML incident with my chain because I think everyone's seen the video of me being cut out by the firefighters. <laughs> but actually, if you haven't seen it, I still have it on Facebook. Uh, Message me and I can forward you the video. You're such an idiot. It's part of one of the other videos as well, Recon, <laughs> on the YouTube. And the um, most funny okay. thing about that is that both of your locks. The owner of the of the uh, key was Philip. We knew that. <laughs> we should have just asked him to come and rescue you. Philip's got the key. Philip is the re is the owner of Recon. If for those that don't know, okay, look, pad, pad, padlocks. I think are a really good. Um, example of this kind of eradication of traditions, or you know, allowing people to kind of create their own. So. When I first started in the scene, I really, really liked the look of padlocks. I just, I liked the heavy duty na nature of them. I think as a, <laughs> and this is like showing my age and maybe my way of thinking, but the concept and the style of it, I liked the fact that it was, you know, a chain with a padlock and that was the thing that was connecting everything together. So I liked the look and feel of it a lot. Um, and for me, I don't know, as a, as a style person, there was something about finishing off your outfit with a padlock, right? And a bit like you, Antoine, I think people were always asking me, who has the key? Who has the key? Or making assumptions about me. Cause obviously it has meaning, right? And at that time, I didn't really, really, really fully understand the meaning. So I was getting really upset by people, you know, having, a preconceived notion about who I am as a person, but I was wearing something that basically meant something. So it was telling in the same way that the hanky code is very, you know, it's a telltale sign to someone else that you're into something. You know, people, I was getting upset by the fact that people were like, well, you're wearing this, so I'm going to think this about you. So I basically stopped wearing it for a period of time. And then I had a boyfriend and I gave, he was in the scene as well. Um, I gave him my key and he gave me his key. Now that's not, I suppose, the traditional way of how you would go about that whole ownership thing. And for me, it wasn't about ownership. We were going out to a party. We were going out to parties together. Like we both liked our padlocks. It was more of a symbol for us that we are together. And I know that that's kind of mixing the the meaning behind the padlock. But for me, I was trying to create a meaning that worked for me. And I still felt like 
it was in the realm of ownership still. So, you know, I, I belonged to him. He belonged to me. We were monogamous. There wasn't, or I mean, well, occasionally we would have a threesome, but <laughs> I'm good. I don't, I, that goes back several other podcasts. I know, right? Sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> but essentially I felt comfortable with the fact that, okay, I've, I'm still having some of the traditional meaning behind it, but I feel comfortable enough to wear it. So now, you know, if someone came up to me and said, who has the key? I can point to him and be like, he had the key. Do you know what I mean? But I think that people still really struggled with the idea of trying to change it to fit my myself. Um, and I think that that was kind of sad because ultimately it means that I just, I don't wear it. And I understand that it has the meaning and, and, you know, sometimes I miss the look of it, but I, I think it's not necessarily that I wasn't allowed to do something that I wanted to do. It was more about the way that other people made me feel about trying to do something new, um, in that moment. Does that make sense, Daniel? Yes. But I'm also, when I hear these stories, I feel a bit like, ah, <laughs> but that's good. That's good. Because, debate, yeah. debate. Go on. Yeah, you want to see you want to see my one, whip next time I'm meeting you. I know. But here's one the of thing. the things we talked about was the importance of preserving traditions, and yes. maybe there are some which we just should never lose. Yes, but here's the thing: there are a lot of stereotypes in traditions as well. You know, yes, for a lot of people, the chain was a padlock stands for being owned by somebody. But that has never been written down as the ultimate rule. A lot of people <laughs> for decades are wearing it because they want to show I'm a bottom, I'm a slave. I am looking for someone, you know, to have my keys. And um, so I don't like these ideas of handbooks where I have to read the rules to understand everything. I was always making fun of these hanky codes, which is a fantastic historic story we have in our community but mm. honestly how do i know in the bar if that's a chimney red a dark red or mid red when the guy comes line. out of the, the the playroom the dark room suddenly it's yellow like oops you know <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know if you want to wear i can just encourage everybody if you like chains around your neck wear them if you prefer them as a fashion accessory i'm fine with that if you wear them because you're proud as an own boy or slave i'm super proud of you and uh, happy for you but if you wear them because you were looking for somebody there shouldn't be anybody saying that's not right you know that is my opinion mm -hmm. and this is where i struggle in general with the old god new god you know, there is so much more in between, I think. Yes, we need labels. That's our kind of generation, you know, and, and, and maybe human mankind is always thinking in labels and categories. But I also think, like, who the hell is setting up these rules? And are they really true? You know how it works over decades. You know, stories uh, develop and change. And I don't know. Maybe somebody... We, we we know yeah. a lot about people trying to uphold the fetish law. <laughs> a lot. A lot. A lot. Uh, so, yeah, we at Folsom always have uh, material there to cut you out of your chain next time you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> or you just leave a spare key with me. That's fine. Honestly, it was, it was, I was in that, I was in that padlock and chain for three days. Before he hard. told me. <laughs> 
somewhere was, for a lifetime, you know? <laughs> I was panicked though, because we had to catch a flight and I was yeah, like, yeah. this is going to end in tears for me. And I was like, so. we are not going through airport security with that thing around your neck. We are going to the fire station. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's part of the reason why I don't wear a padlock anymore as well. I'm sure say. you would have not been, I'm sure you would have not been the first one at TSA showing up with a padlock and being helpless. In that instance, this would have been a hashtag fail when we talk about function over fashion or, you know, conformism over um, people taking, you know, individual styles. So, Daniel, what do you think of your, let's say, the old guard you or the old guard side of you versus the new guard side of you? Do you have your own clash with function over fashion anywhere? Or were things where you think you should conform to an idea and you decide to just break out and do your own thing? I was never good on following rules, to be honest. I was always better on setting rules. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't hint, act hint. like you're surprised, Sandy, you know that. Uh, <laughs> so I give you, give you an example. You know, I live in a relationship with somebody who I call my slave slash partner. And we're both very happy and we're both very proud. Nevertheless, you know, there is no handbook about, you know, master and slave relationships. And there is not, you know, we're not living in a stereotype situation. He has his job. We're going out. You know, he's not always showing his his uh, chain to anybody. Uh, he doesn't have to, you know. We, have, we know our situation, our status. So... I know that there are, we, we find that we find these traditional SM relationships, you know, where master and slave have extreme hard rules and everybody has to follow them. And if you break a rule, you have to be punished, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine with me from time to time, but that's not my lifestyle, you know. I'm, so I'm adjusting. I'm trying to, um, yeah, I, I'm trying to find the perfect solution for ourselves. You know, and I don't want to, and it, it, sometimes it's not easy. I mean, he was a bit uh, confused at the beginning, you know, because he, you know, he, he was cruising me. He was even coming to an event where he knew I was going to meet me because he was so much into me from the internet. And it did uh, click at the end and worked out. But then when he really met me, he saw, oh, wait, that person is not what I imagined he would be, you know, just because he looks like a traditional SM master, just because he has the experience doesn't mean, you know, that I have to sleep on the floor every night or in a cage or something, you know, because I was like, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> no, sometimes he was a bit disappointed, I think. But, you know, <laughs> but then I explained to him, see, these might be the old fashioned old guard rules, old guard rules. But here's the thing. I love cuddling and spooning a lot at night. Oh, and I would, I would punish myself more than him, you know, if he has to sleep on the floor that's not fair and that's stupid and i do it my way so that's why i struggle a little bit with um too much are we old guard or new guard we talked about yeah. this earlier i think i'm in between i'm you know picking whatever i need and feel comfortable with that's the situation and it's different on different days and different situations so uh, yeah, I think allowing question, people, <laughs> I, I think allowing people to do it their way. You said it. You said it quite rightly. I think it's going to be a really important thing that maybe we all need to learn to do 
just a little bit more, you know, but at the same time, it's kind of reminding ourselves that we don't want to lose tradition. Um, you know, when I think about this whole question also of like function over fashion and individuality, um, Sandy and I were out in LA for LA leather one year and we went to what was called like, uh, it was like a leather social at Tom's oh, yes. house. And we saw these two oh, I know young exactly guys. exactly what you're going to say. And <laughs> I'm sure that neither of them was over 25. They had to be over 21 to get in, but I'm sure they were not over 25. Yeah. It was very interesting to see them because I looked and I thought, what the fuck are they wearing? What's going on? It was like ripped t-shirts with the leather jacket and some ill-fitting, really poorly ill-fitting leather <laughs> shorts and leather jeans. And it really, at first glance, you know, in my mind, I was like, okay, they just raided a thrift shop. This all came from a secondhand shop. And it was going through my mind, was processing so quickly. Yeah. Um, no one has told them how to wear the gear. They're not wearing it right. Da, 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 da. And it was very easy for me to fall into the very conservative old guard side of me. What I don't think I thought about then at that time, maybe even for some days afterwards, you know what? These are young new guard people who are just embracing their own thing. And what they did was they came out in their version of what it's like. Yes. And should I take that away from them? No. At the same time, it's also thinking, you know, we go back to like dress codes. If you say it's going to be like a formal leather thing, why would you pitch up in like a ripped t-shirt and some I mean, leather shorts and something else? So, you know, it's... You're being nice, but it was a lot. I'm gonna, <laughs> <laughs> it I'm, was. I'm, it it was a the lot. The thing is, I don't, I don't... I think that what what we did in that situation was actually quite good because we we went over to them and there were like, there was one thing, like one of their harnesses were was on the wrong way or whatever. And, you know, we helped them and, and we got to know them and it was great, but I will say it was a lot to take in. And I, and this is what I mean in terms of like understanding the meaning behind certain things, because if they knew the meaning behind certain things that they were wearing or how they put it together, they probably wouldn't have put it together in that same way. And you can still like, I would like to think that I, put together stuff, you know, in a way that still makes sense, but is intrinsic to myself. And this idea about, you know, conformism and individualism is really interesting because I think that also it's a generational thing, right? You can't get, you can't really escape it. It's a generational thing. And also how much you, um, embrace the materials around you, i.e. like society, culture, all that kind of thing. If you keep up with culture, really right now, we have a very individualistic approach to things. So it's about like you as an individual and what you can bring, like look at social media. It's all about broadcasting yourself, you know, creating brands and all that kind of stuff. Like we weren't talking about individuals having brands <laughs> like years ago, like everyone is a brand, you know, you can create, however, you can create a persona for yourself and put that out there for everyone to see. And like Daniel, you experience with your partner, like you know, he had an, he had a perspective about you, which wasn't necessarily correct. You know, perception isn't always reality is something that I always say. Um, 
And I, and I, and I think that that is probably infiltrating into the scene as well. And that's where maybe this divide kind of comes into it because, you know, I'm a millennial and that's what we were told. We've been told, you know, that it's about you and give it your best shot and you did it. And it's, oh, and, you know, who told you that? Don't listen my, to them. My mommy and daddy told <laughs> oh, me that okay, I'm okay. the greatest. You should see Antoine's face now. Like, right, right. <laughs> which daddy? <laughs> San Diego, oh, yeah. My daddy told me I'm the best. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, you know, I think the functionality, here's the thing. I mean, there are experiences you have where you feel like, ouch, and there are things that totally change our community. Like when I've been to Palm Springs or Florida the first time, yeah, I was a bit shocked to see leather man in leather hot pants, you know, because that was not my stereotype. Oh, that sounds hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's say let's say it that way, Sandy. You often see those you don't want to see in hot pants. It's a bit like the naked ones oh. at San Francisco, Folsom <laughs> Street Fair. Very often, very often. No, honestly, I say it you, out of my own experience. It is sometimes better to cover up and look hot than to show. I can't everything. believe you just shattered. The the, 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 the image in my brain as soon as you said that I was like oh okay you killed that so but if you if you live a bit more than one or two nights in Florida or on Palm Springs or I've lived in Spain for seven years you understand why you don't dress up in full leather with breeches and boots and the jacket on top because you sweat like a pig and it's not sexy at all after a while you know unless you're in rubber if you sweat in rubber it's sexy I know that's why rubber guys have different uh, you know fetishes than me sometimes uh, that's not my thing so what I'm saying is you know sometimes there is a reason you know for as we talked about functionality because it's not functional to wear a full leather outfit or but it can also be in a good way like the gold coast style i don't know why they came up with these for those who don't know you know something that was obviously invented in chicago uh lake michigan the gold coast as it's called as far as i remember and it means like wearing tight jeans like 501s or 502s and knee-high leather boots a t-shirt and a leather vest on top You know, that's a very typical Tom of Finland style we know mm. from paintings. That's what something we see a lot on street fairs when people want a bit more. Or if even going shopping on Castro or having a coffee on Castro, you wear something like that. And I think it has a lot to do with comfort, you know. And you yeah. still want to wear your, your leather elements and you still want to look sexy and you do. But you don't have to, you know, follow one specific rule. What is a leather man? We know that whether we like it or not, you know, things uh, on the scene continues to change. One word we use here a lot is, you know, the evolution. And I think over the years we've seen an incredible evolution within the fetish scene and within the kink community overall. And I think one of those really good changes has been maybe by us starting to let go, you know, the using the umbrella term leather man to describe everyone rather than just saying, you know, the fetish man, or maybe now to, we need to say the fetish person or fetish people or, or just, just use kingsters, kingster. you know, because it is changing. And I think, you know, Daniel, we had a meeting with you a while back talking about, you know, the fair and things that are happening and changes that need to come. And I think because we know that we need to future proof the scene, um, we need to future proof what's happening within our community. So How do you think we can begin to evolve the scene basically without 
completely destroying, let's say, the foundations of all the traditions, you know, of, of what we know as old guard, um, but still allowing, you know, the old and the new to coexist. I honestly don't see a big risk of, uh, you know, the old traditions disappearing, to be honest. Um, as I said, there is on the one hand the trend that was quite surprising for me, starting like five to ten years ago, the huge uh, run into the bluff scene of younger crowd. Um, I also, you know, see younger people getting more and more involved into our community. Um, and I also think that we should, we as the old God community should open up. And I can only encourage, you know, the young people, the queer people to reach out to those traditional clubs and say, I want to be part of you. I want to volunteer. I want to be a member, you know, or I just want to visit to start something, you know, done something new. And I mean, let's look back 10, 15 years ago. We didn't talk about queer people. We didn't talk about trans people. They are experience, experiencing experiencing oh my god sorry i'm german <laughs> i try again they are experiencing now times that we as gay men have experienced 30 40 years ago you know and i think um i think we as we can only survive as the old guard traditional scene if the new community mingles with us supports us we support mm. them that's the best way to keep our history alive and that is important and then you do see uh, trends like young guys suddenly being into the old style again. You know, I yeah. think it's a, it's always the best, and it's a, it's the same in your industry. I mean, look at you guys. You have so many young people working in your office and bringing new ideas into. You know, parties. I mean, like the pick party. You know, we talked about it. That uh, it's a fantastic party. But yes, we have to think of what shall we maybe do differently. You know, we have done it this way for 15 years. It was a huge success. It still is. But is it enough to copy, you know, the same success from the last 10, 15 years? Or shall we try new things? And I think that's the same with the community anywhere. I think those who are opening up to the young, fresh ideas, to the young people in our community, those are the ones who will survive. And those are the ones who will prevent their tradition and history. Those ones who are closed-minded uh, might be the ones that disappear. It's it's really interesting that you say about, and I never thought about it actually, if there are new people that want to come into the scene, actually joining a club is a really good way to do that. And it's a really good way to bridge the gap between the old guard and the new guard. Actually, I think I really like the idea um, of like, you know, drag houses or um, back in the day, you know, in New York, there were like houses that people basically were a part of. And that's how tradition was kind of passed down. Like, and that's how you could enter balls and all that kind of stuff. That kind of, you know, community aspect that, that real being able to pass down, you know, history, stories, tradition, protocol, that is really, I think, important. And I think that we need to adopt some of that into our community a little bit, because like you said, you know, no one's going to, this is, this is how the younger people are going to get into more traditional type of things. And therefore it will be future-proofed and it will be, you know, it, it will survive and grow. But I think that ultimately, unless we have some way to kind of really 
you know, reach out to each other and actually guide each other, then we're not going to be able to move forward. It's really interesting as well that you said about, you know, Folsom Europe, like evolving. And, you know, when we did, we, we did a, well, Anton could probably tell us more than that. You know, when we did um, Recon London at the end of Christmas one year and we decided to change like the music, which I think, you know, probably Antoine can talk about a bit more because the way that the conversation came about was really interesting because it was really, you know, me saying, oh, I, I really struggle with music because I'm such a music guy that I, I, I would like to hear something else. Like Antoine, you tell the story better than me. I think, <laughs> I, I think this probably sums it up really nicely. Um, you know, we can't forget um, where the tradition started and where the scene has come from. And I think that's something we should never lose. And I think as time goes on, we will have a responsibility to always be able to educate the younger people or the new people coming in, no matter what age they're at. Um, and it's also understanding that as things change and as new people come in, they will be attracted maybe to something different. They will want to be introduced to something different. And sometimes, you know, we had uh, somebody who says, oh, I go to clubs and I never listen to the music. I don't hear the music. They go for another reason. And that may be because they spend the whole night in the dark room. And so all they want to hear is <laughs> because this is the rhythm that they fuck to basically. Yeah. And if they're not hearing that, then you're not making their night. And then I had a chat with Sandy a while back and he was talking about preparing and, you know, getting ready when he's going out on the scene that he's at home and he has his music on and that he's leaving home with this really good feeling and this good vibe. And he's like, well, wouldn't it be a amazing like to come out and for my vibe to continue when I get to the party and so we thought about you know he says well you know my challenge is basically to introduce which we now call a pop room to the party and it was really quite something to see because at first I thought this is so non-fetishy. <laughs> this is so non-kinky. How will people react or respond to it? And this was definitely another one of those occasions where I had my eyes completely opened wide because it was one of the busiest rooms at the event. And this was like, you know, if I can say... This was the camp space. Yeah, this is where it was. This is where <laughs> this is where Sandy lived. This honey. is the place where yeah, the old guard and the new guard came together in this space, throwing their hands up in the air. I mean, there were some standing on the side, looking like, "What the oh. fuck is going on in what there?" What the fuck is that? Miley Cyrus they're playing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also recognizing, you know, people might say, "Well, there's no space for this at a fetish event," and absolutely there is. You know, we know that things are changing and new people are coming, and I think both sides, the old guard and the new guard, need to embrace the opposite sides. This is really the only way that they're going to coexist. And this is the only way that we're going to see the continued growth and the change. You know, one of the things we say here very often is that, you know, our fetish community is a niche within a niche within a niche. Yeah. We know that there are <laughs> lots of kingsters out there, but I mean, overall, when you think about the numbers, it may be the numbers of us who are open is, isn't so great. And if we don't embrace and let us other people in, we will see the numbers diminish. So we need to basically, as the old cliche goes, you know, be the change we want to see happen. And if we don't let new people in and embrace the new ideas, we're going to be in danger, girl. I just said earlier, you know, the young guys should come and then, you know, 
and see that they get involved and that they become members of clubs, etc. But it is also the responsibility of the old guys to let the young guys in and to help yeah. them and support them. There was a very interesting project a few years ago in LA, the LALC, who is a fantastic organization and who is producing Mr. LA Leather and the, the weekend in April, I think it is normally or late March. Um, John Wright again, you know, good old friend of mine who is around 70 years old now. He's a typical old guard leather and rubber guy. And he was the one, you know, with other members saying, we have to mentor, we have to open up and help those young people. They are scared of us, you know, yeah. and they are scared of the old traditions and they really believe you can only wear a padlock if somebody owns you. So we have to take them by the hand and, you know, help them. And it worked very well. And, you know, the LA leather scene and, and fetish scene is very vital and very active and uh, they always bring out so many new young people that you have never seen before and I think that's an example you know that's standing out where we can all learn from us you know we have both sides have to make steps forward uh, and and you know meet and work together oh I want to be like Alexa play man in the mirror by Michael Jackson <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're not going to have an Alexa DJ at the pig party. That I can promise you. That would be chaotic. I think that is a brilliant note for us to end on. You know, um, letting the old guard understand that they need to embrace the new. And, you know, hopefully we want the old guard to understand, uh, sorry, the new guard to understand how important it is for them to not just be able to, or want to feel as though they can come and be themselves, but they also will not help this change if they don't actually join in and join these clubs and actually immerse themselves even deeper within the community, not just on the periphery, you know, but get in there, dig your feet around and do something. You want to be the new guard? You want to stand for something? Work for it. Get and your hands dirty, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to thank everybody for listening in to our podcast today and hopefully you enjoyed it uh and daniel thank you very much for coming and imparting such amazing knowledge with us as well really brilliant thank you my pleasure thank you guys and i say bye bye and auf wiedersehen auf wiedersehen, auf wiedersehen. thank you <laughs>